there's all these like smaller niche, like niches that need to be served in really specific ways that have these banking as a service providers has enabled like other companies to spin up and really like target like Gen Z or like middle America or, you know, like the elder community. Like it, it's super interesting just to see like the complete like breakdown of like the big banks and people kind of getting control of their money and other companies as well, building financial tools around that. And then there's crypto, which is like very interesting. Uh, we could probably do another hour on that, but. I'm your host, Matthew. And I'm your co-host, Nick. Welcome back to Founder Framework. We break down the success of distinguished entrepreneurs to uncover how you can replicate their success. Here, you'll receive actionable insights that will guide you to your dream business, project, and lifestyle. Today, I'm joined by the Habitual Money team. Habitual is paving the way toward a truly customizable personal finance application and the future of personal finance as we know it. Their CEO, Mahir, is an ex-Microsoft and ex-Google software engineer. And his co-founder, Marius, has been a designer for HP, Home Depot, Facebook, Wells Fargo, and now Delta, to name a few. In this podcast, I was extremely fascinated by their vision for Habitual Money and their visions for fintech as a whole. So let's get into the podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Founder Framework Podcast. We're here with the team from Habitual Money. We've got Marius and Mahir. And the first question we have is really, how did this idea come about? Yeah, so um, I actually started building Habitual while I was still working full-time at Google. Um, and initially, it was like a personal finance app. And like the problem that I had with Mint, Truebill, and all these other finance apps is that I would like pay rent through Venmo mm. and like my friends would like Venmo me, uh, I, I would pay rent and then like I had three people Venmoing me and like that was not captured by Mint. And that was like the, the biggest part of my cash flow. So anytime I looked at my spend on any of these other personal finance apps, um, it wasn't capturing how I actually manage my money. And none of it was like personalized to me. So the initial concept was like, hey, can we do like something similar to what Google Photos does with, um, I don't know if you guys have used Google Photos, but they have like this really cool feature where it tries to do like machine learning and saying like, hey, is this person like Marius or is this person Maher or is this person Matthew? And then you just go through yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And I was like, can I do that with my finances? Can I go through all my transactions really quickly mm. um, and be able to, in a second, recognize what this transaction was and uh, be able to put it in the right category within a click or two? Um, and that was like the initial like genesis of like what I wanted to build. Um, so I kind of built it like, on the side while I still at work, um, nights and weekends, just like trying to see like, hey, is this something like, how many transactions does people normally have? Is it gonna be too much? Is it easy? And we go like one step further than your bank. We actually integrate with Venmo and Amazon to really show you what you bought or like when you transfer money, PayPal, things like that, to really give you deep insights into like your spending categories and we allow you to like create smart rules. Um, think of them like Gmail filters that allow you to basically say like, I really care about my coffee spend and I'm gonna put Starbucks and Joe's Coffee or whatever into coffee so then I don't have to ever like manually do that again. I just have to say, yes, this is right, looks good. And kind of move on from that. Mm -hmm. So that was like the original genesis of like habitual as like a personal finance app, but the vision has grown a lot and a lot of that is due to Marius. Um, so I met him through the OnDeck Network, which is like a founder fellowship network right. um, over nine months ago. And he was exploring something in like a, consumer um, social budgeting app. It was called Level Up Fin, I believe. Um, and I was like, yo, I'm working on something that's like in the same space. Like, it's very similar to what you're doing. Yeah. Should we chat? Like, let's talk. And I don't know, we had like, we talked for like two weeks on and off, um, 
try to see like, you know, we, we were addressing the same problem, like mm -hmm. helping people understand where their money's going. And he wanted to take like a social aspect to it. And like the vision has now grown from like just a personal finance app. And like the second step is like, can we build a community around people talking about their finances? Because we can see people are like, our personal finance on Reddit has 15 million members. It's like 5.5 billion views on the hashtag personal finance on TikTok. Right. Um, people are looking for ways to budget better, to save more, to invest correctly. And they're having all these conversations. And I can't see any personal finance app right now that's building a community alongside the core financial tools. And we, want, we basically want to like build a community back experience that allows you to understand how to spend your money based on learning from other people in your cohort. So. Mm. Got it. So that's like the very high level. Yeah, yeah no, I, I love that. I love that description. I think you listed a lot of things that I want to follow up on. Um, and the first of which is probably the research that you said you were doing at, uh, while you're still working at Google, um, and trying to validate the market, I guess, for an app like this. So mm -hmm. could you dive a bit deeper into that? Like, what was it that made you say, yeah, this is the opportunity. Like there's enough here. Um, what did you look for and where did you go? Yeah, so between my wife and I, we have like 12 financial accounts and Venmos and Cash App and all these other ways that money moves. And I basically went to Reddit and was like, our personal finance, what's the best budgeting tool right now? Because when it was just me, it was like, I just looked at my like, my checking account and made sure that I was like at a threshold. And if it went below, I try to spend less, whatever that means. And if it was above, I'd be like, okay, cool. Let me move some money into savings, investments, this, that, the other. But I had no like granular understanding of where my money was going. And I personally, I don't really use cash anymore. Like I'm in New York, so like the random pizza place, I'll go like pick up a dollar slice. But besides that, everything is digital and I still had no idea where things were going. So when I went to our personal finance to see like, how are people managing this today? Um, there's really two options. One is you need a budget, um, which is like, it's really like people that can stick with it can be really successful, but it's really hard to do. And they have this like zero based budgeting like there are these four principles where like all the money you spend this month has to be made last month. Um, mm. And again, like the core principles are like s solid, but it's not flexible for the way I want to spend my money. And then the second option that was given on our personal finance was spreadsheets. Um, so we basically take the essence of spreadsheets and put it in like a, just like a clean, simply use beautiful app that like as soon as people like see it and they start using it, there's something very tangible and emotional about like engaging with your money through a virtual because you go through each transaction one at a time. And we've put a lot of like thought and effort into like helping you understand your relationship with that merchant, that category, and that specific transaction on each transaction card. So, yeah, that makes sense. So actually, uh, Marius, I think that that kind of falls into your role as well, I believe, right with design and one question I had was, I love the smart rules. I, so for those who don't know, I, I downloaded Habitual Money, um, of course, you know, uh, not only because of this podcast, but also I had the same pain point. I, don't, I can't even tell you how many different spreadsheets I have that are just lost in the ether <laughs> that were an attempt at personal finance budgeting, right? Um, but when I discovered these smart rules, at first I was like, huh, this is, this is kind of interesting. And going back to your point about, you know, your roommates Venmo you, but you Venmo your landlord. And now it shows up on your typical app as like one giant payment. And then yep. like you also have income from Venmo, but it's not income. So that's why I love the smart rules. But Marius, how did you, how do you design something that's maybe a little bit more complex than what's out there right now, or a bit more innovative that you know, people will still be able to learn how to use it on their own once they download. 
Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good question. I think one of the things that I think about, like especially with design, it's really trying to make sure that you're solving the core problem, right? Um, mm -hmm. When I think about design problems, I think about what is out there today that's like people are familiar with, right? Um, kind of similar to what Meher kind of mentioned about like the Gmail filters or Google Photos. Mm -hmm. That's that's a that's a habit that people are, you know they're familiar with. So if you kind of bring that to some of your design problems within um, Habitual, you kind of get users a, a, a very comfortable space where they've seen this before so they can kind of experience it a little bit better. So um, usually when I come to like design challenges and stuff like that, I think about making sure we're solving the core problem for the users to be able to do the actions from start to finish, but also um, have a familiarized experience for them where, you know, mm. um, yeah, so that's, that's what I was saying. Understood. So what if you had a more complex design challenge that maybe there, maybe there wasn't, in this case there was, but maybe there isn't something that the user might yeah. be familiar with. How do you approach that? What framework do you use there? When it comes to design, there are a lot of things that's out there already, right? Um, mm -hmm. But for certain things where you have to really be innovative, just think outside the box, I think it's you trying to pioneer new patterns, right? New experiences, new interfaces and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So um, really kind of taking what's out there, but also putting a little spin into what you think the, the future of design should look like or the future mm -hmm. of what finance should look like, right? So for example, like how, <clears throat> look what we're doing, categorizing your transaction, we're doing it in a very different way of swiping, right? Through transactions. That's a different behavior for how we want people to review their finances. So. It's kind of introducing new patterns. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I look at a list of transactions, personally, my eyes kind of glaze over it. Um, luckily, like we're building a product that both Marius and I use every day, and we like understand the pain points. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, taking like a list and just being like, let's go through this one at a time. And is it quick? Is it easy? What information would a user want to know uh, when they look at a transaction? You basically want to know like, what was this transaction for? as quickly as possible. So like we even have like a little Google it button in there that people use and people click it all the time. And they're like, oh, what's this one thing? I don't really like recognize this transaction. They click it, it's like, oh, that one coffee shop I went to in New York. Like mm. they're just like under some name or like you forgot about it. It was like, three days ago. Um, and another thing, so like when, when we were building the smart rules, we had a few different ideas of like what this should look like, right? Because um, I know a couple other programs or a couple other financial services do have smart rules, like Monarch has some, um, Copilot does, but they take a different approach to it. Like we allow you to like mix and match terms and like we're going to add price filters and time filters as well. But the way we the way we approached it was we basically made a couple mocks in Figma, put it on our Discord. Um, so we have like a Discord above 50 users right now. It's still pretty early. And we just talked to our most like all the users that are coming back daily and being like, hey, does this make sense? Like when you look at this, like, do you understand what this is? And if they don't, okay, cool. We'll build a tutorial that kind of explains it. And then we make sure we have like some helper text kind of everywhere that says like, smart rules help automate like your finances so then you don't have to do this like manually every time. Uh, we have like a better um, verbiage you know, in the actual app. Mm -hmm. um, and we just talk to our users. We do like post-use post interviews. We do like a pre-use interview and the post-use interview. And then we just ask them like, was like, what do you think about like the overview screen? Which dashboards did you find the most useful? What do you like actually look for when, when analyzing your spend? Cause right now we're just focused on like helping you categorize your spend. Like the next step is like, okay, cool. Let's give you actionable insights. 
Mm. Are you looking to save more? Are you looking to like hit a certain goal? Are you trying to like just cut down on your overall spend? Um, and yeah, just listen to our users. And we have a very like tight feedback loop. Uh, and I, if anyone else is building like a like a direct consumer product, um, I think building a Discord is a hack. Like people are on there, people are active. Uh, I know like the crypto community has really made joining Discords a thing. And we've gotten a ton of good feedback. We've like built a public roadmap because people are asking for like the same feature requests. Um, like we don't have like subcategories yet, but it's like on our roadmap, we want to build it. It's something like we can see that, you know, there's like 10 out of the 50 people are like, can we get this? And I was like, yeah, we, we'll, we'll add it to the roadmap and, and we'll build it for you, so. Yeah, I've actually, I, I joined the Discord as well because I was like, oh, this is super cool to see something. Like you said, crypto kind of ushered it into mainstream, I guess, to, mm -hmm. to join Discords outside of gaming. Um, and I run a Discord myself and I was like, oh, I want to see, you know, how they, they approach Discord. And and you mentioned a very tight feedback loop and I can see that in action. And you guys are also incredibly active on there as well. Like someone will ask about something and then boom, you have like a thorough response for them right away. Um, or sometimes we'll even like push a new, um, I don't know, version um, or whatever you would call it. And it's implemented. So when you're getting all this feedback from these users, how do you decide which one to prioritize? Is it solely based on the demand or are there other factors as well? Oh, definitely a ton of factors. Engineering is like probably the biggest one. Like what is, um, what's like a low hanging fruit that'll have a high impact is mm. kind of our internal triaging. Uh, we have like monthly product discussions where we just like brainstorm, like based on how people are using it, what we think we should do. Um, and it's basically like, what, what, what are we gonna create today that'll have the most value for our users? Um, like we know people are asking for like, helping us understand subscriptions because a lot of other services do that today. Um, and we have internal mocks and what we think that should look like. And soon we'll be posting that on our Discord to be like, hey, this is how we're, before even building it, like we, we know people want this. It's like a big pain point, subcategories, hashtags and transactions so you can like tag things better. Um, we just try to see like what we can fit in our current like two week cycle, um, talk to our users, try to see like, can we like ship this out soon? What's an MVP? Can we test it? Can we get feedback, iterate? And it's a very like iterative process. Mm -hmm. uh, how we're approaching it today. So with your first users, you know, you, you have this discord, but let's say, I think when you guys really first launched, you had, I think 80 users, um, mm -hmm. that initially joined. With those 80 users, do you treat them any differently from your users today? Was there a specific emphasis on them? Or was it more, I think there's two sides of the spectrum maybe. Um, mm -hmm. And I know which one I, I personally lean towards, but I'd love to hear your opinion as well, is extremely hands-on and just talking to them all the time or kind of just seeing what they do inside the app maybe and then, and then reaching out to them. So uh, what did that look like when, if I was one of the first 10 users to join your app, um, how did you treat those people? So we interviewed the first 100, um, and they were mainly people from our network, um, people that we knew, friends, family, that you know were interested in trying it out. Um, and since our launch on Product Hunt, like the vast majority of users we don't know, mm -hmm. um, and we've, we've been reaching out to them if they're like, constantly using the app uh, and being like, hey, do you want to set up an interview? We'd love to like learn about what you love, what you don't love, or what we can change, what feature requests you have. Um, 
we treat them the same, I think, um, right, Marius? Uh, we're looking at the data. We're looking at what people are using, what they're liking, how often they're coming back. Um, but when it comes to actually interacting with them, uh, I guess I guess we do have like two things that we look at. One is talking to users directly, and then second is like looking at our analytics and seeing like, are people using this feature? Like one of the things that we built right before our launch, like the weekend before, was a social feed. So what we do is aggregate content across TikTok and Reddit that we think are could provide value of people talking about personal finance in like as like a roadmap to like building a community. Um, and people are really using it. Uh, we built it in like two days, uh, launched it. Marius made the mocks. Uh, I like hacked it up uh, on the back end and then like built a little front end for it. Um, but in talking to users, they, they're interested in it, they like it, but it's not useful enough right now. So we're still really focused on like the personal finance app and we wanna make that like a killer experience. But then after that, okay, how are people talking about finances today? What questions did they have? What, what insights can we get from your spending to help like drive relevant conversations for you on the community side? Right, let's say we know, uh, Matt, you just got a new job or something. Like how do we show you experiences from others who have like combined their 401k? And like, what can, mm. what learnings can you have from that? Let's say you're not hitting your savings goals uh, for your income level. Like, how do other people kind of deal with um, overcoming that? How, like, how do they overcome their struggles? And like, starting to create conversations around. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but uh, basically, we look at the data, we talk to our users, and kind of learn from them. Um, and that's gonna that's kind of like laying down a roadmap for how we want to approach like user feedback. Yeah, I guess my, my question was kind of, you know, how do you create super fans or power users in the early days of the product? But that led to a very interesting point or idea where you said, you know, it, we can kind of, if you tell us what stage you're at, you know, in your career or in your personal finance life, we can actually suggest content mm -hmm. that would be most beneficial to you at that time. Is there, That's do you cool. know of anywhere else that, that does that? I guess algorithms for like social media probably can maybe tell um, when you've had like big life changes. But um, yeah, do you think that's like another advantage for you guys or is it more of, again, leveling the playing field with the, I guess, incumbents in the space? I think like the, one of the best um, recommendation algorithms that I've seen is YouTube. Um, you watch a video and like I watch a lot of soccer content, so my YouTube feed is like startup stuff and soccer content. Um, but as soon as I click on anything unrelated, like I remember Warzone was super big like two years ago and I started watching a lot of Warzone content on Twitch and then uh, on YouTube and like they started recommending things that were more relevant to, you know, th this new, this like type of content that I was starting to watch, which was gaming. So trying to learn from that um, and trying to apply that to finances specifically. So looking for trends and patterns in, um, how you manage your money. Um, let's say you created a pets category all of a sudden, right? Like how can we help you understand, or maybe like mm. for my, for us, like for me specifically, like my pet, his name is Jack and his thing is an emoji of a dog, right? Mm. So if there's an emoji of like an animal and something else, like maybe we could start bumping up content from other people about pet spend. Like what's the best pet insurance that you have? What's your average monthly vet bill? How do you like deal with, you know, like having a, taking care of a pet and making sure that like they're well taken care of within your financial budget. Um, 
Wow. Yeah. I think that's that's really compelling. Um, I'm personally now very excited for that. Um, no, guys, like listeners, they didn't ask me to say any of this. I just think that's a really cool idea uh, because you're basically getting handheld um, or personalized communities are just showing up on your phone based on what you need instead of you having to go out and find them, which is awesome. Um, and, and Marius, I imagine this kind of ties into your original idea when you went to, I guess, ODX uh, was where you guys met or on deck? Yeah, um, yeah. ODF. ODF. Founders. Yeah. Okay. yeah. ODX just came out like six months ago or something. Okay, um, yeah. got it. Yeah, we had, um, we had another founder um, on the podcast who I think went through on deck ventures, I think ODX, um, recently. So it was really funny when I, when I saw you guys had also gone through on deck. Um, but you know, Marius, this might tie back to your original idea of more social personal finance. So I'd love to hear your opinions on, on where this could go as well. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's interesting. Cause when we first started this, when Maya and I met up, Definitely two different worlds, right? Um, I was thinking of things. How do you bring in the social aspect, right, into personal finance? Because I've always had a belief like finance has always been a personal thing for people. Uh, people don't really talk about it. But yeah, you do have communities like Reddit and Facebook and stuff like that. But I feel, you know, with, with your friends, with your family, you don't get too deep into that kind of stuff, right? But I do also know that people love to share, right, on Instagram, the food that they eat, um, their accomplishments and different things like that. So how do we actually bring tie that experience, right, of um, connecting it with your finances? So I think Mahari and I just brainstorming and thinking about things from a larger perspective and how do we kind of cultivate this new way of doing things from a personal finance um, perspective. And I think we're, we're eventually we're going to be onto something. Um, I think right now we're just trying to start the pieces off slowly, making sure we're actually building the, the right tools from a personal finance um, perspective. But then once we kind of mm-hmm. incorporate that social and the community aspect, I think that really can help kind of start cultivating um, a community and an environment. Hmm. Yeah, so Marius is like an idea guy. Um, as a designer, he his like yeah. favorite tool right now is Figma. Uh, I don't want to speak for him, but like uh, what he did basically. So we were talking about like, okay, we're building this personal finance tool. How do we make it social? Uh, and he just kept like every week, there'd be like a new mock that he's like, look at this. Uh, we can try this. And one was like a, can we have like a Venmo like social feed that says like, hey, Matthew spent like $3 signs at Apple and like Mario spent like $2 signs at, or a dollar sign at Taco Bell and then whatever, right? But mm. that felt very gimmicky. That felt like, okay, cool. We have all the spend data and like we can try to, um, you know, just show you like on, on Venmo, it's like fun to see what people are like paying each other for. And it's always like, people will be like funny about it, but like, oh, child support when it's really like tacos or something, right? <laughs> so people have a lot of fun with it, but I, I didn't like, we didn't feel like that provided enough value to users. And then one day he just like did a mock of like, basically our personal finance, um, like a feed where people can like ask questions to get answers. And I saw it and I was like, wow, like this is fucking sick. Sorry for, <laughs> uh, pardon my French, but I was like, this is amazing. Like, I think if we can use the data that we have on like the personal finance side and like use that to power relevant conversations, uh, let's double tap into this, let's explore this and like, let's try to go deep into like, you know, mocking out other things we can do. And then we can also like build on it, right? Like we can have like a book club that's like financially um, like relevant, like people can, uh, we can do like workshops that help people 
understand how to budget, how to spend their money, uh, how to save, how to invest. Uh, there's a lot of different avenues we could go down. But the ideation stage was just like Marius throwing up mocks of like different types. And uh, I was talking about it. And then eventually he threw up the one that kind of, which is our vision right now. And I was like, okay, cool. This is something we can start on. This is something we can explore. And I think like building a personal finance app, um, our goal is essentially to grow the PFM tool to like a few thousand users and then launch a community alongside with it. And it's, it's like really hard to launch and grow a community, right? Like it's probably one of the hardest things you can do. Mm -hmm. um, and building a personal finance app in itself is like a super crowded space. So how do you differentiate? So like we're yeah. taking on two like really hard struggles over here. <laughs> But I think, um, but I think people are self-selectively interested in the personal finance uh, when they're using our tool, and they're already talking. Like we ask people, like, are you a part of any financial communities? And everyone's like, yeah, I, I'm on Reddit. I read our personal finance. I don't really post, but I'm lurking. So if we can get to a few thousand users on the personal finance side and then start growing this community as well, um, I think that can like, I don't know. There's something there that uh, we can see it. We need to like dig a little deeper, build out more things, grow our user base, and then we can really use that as like our growth engine to, to bring in more people. And the community will be free. So people can just join, like ask questions, see what other people are talking about, uh, and kind of learn learn from others. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest things about growing communities as well is you mentioned some people just lurk. And so how do you get the first people to start actually engaging and posting and putting, the, putting their ideas out there mm -hmm. when there's not already like a thriving massive community that's super active and has like a lively feel to it. But I think now, now that I hear this more, a bit more of your roadmap, the way I'm thinking about it is, or the way I see it is you've built a, an app, the existing habitual money, a personal finance tool that solves a critical pain point that allows you to gather a bit more financial data on users and that data enables you to create more features that are even more valuable and beneficial to those users who came for the initial pain point of personal finance. So in this case, what do you see as the product of habitual money? Is it the app? Is it your talent? Is it the data? Is it something else? Um, we like to describe it as like a community, community backed uh, financial products or financial tools, right? Mm. Um, it's really being able to tie how you manage your money with advice from people like you uh, that have like kind of maybe like a step ahead of you. Um, and it's both. It's both the personal finance tools and the community. And then like way down the line, um, there's a lot of interesting things, we can, interesting things we can do. One of the things I know we don't want to do is um, sell your data. Uh, and this is like on our website. It's like... Mm -hmm. we. If you're, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product, essentially. Right. Um, and there's been a lot of like consumer subscription services um, at scale that have really provided a lot of value to users that people are happy paying $5 a month for. And we'll have like a freemium tier. Uh, but, but we think like really protecting our users' data and like using that to help help you just make better decisions is kind of like front and center for what we want to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that of course is, is a very, uh, relevant, um, concern, something that's important for everyone to know as well. And I, I looked through your website and definitely saw that, um, and it made me feel more comfortable using the app. So when you're ideating then on, on how to use this information to create mm -hmm. a better product, 
there are a lot of companies, like you said, who maybe are a little more gray area in terms of how they use your data, right? And they've created certain ways that have been very profitable for them. So from a business sense, you mentioned you have brainstorm meetings, I think once a month. When you're in those meetings, what's your process of trying to think of new ways to, to use this information to provide value that maybe are limited because you don't want to sell user data, or maybe you're trying to do something that has been done before because ultimately forums, Facebook groups, communities, they've been done. So how do you guys think outside the box, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question because I've, I've, I've been like, we've been talking about like how people pick credit cards today, um, which it's a fine line, right? Like if, if we can see that, you know, you have like two credit cards, the Chase Freedom and like, I don't know, Citibank's card, right? Mm -hmm. And we know like Chase Freedom this month has like massive perks on gasoline and, um, and groceries because they keep like rotating every quarter, right? Um, within the app, if we have that data, we can like suggest like, hey, we know you have these two cards. You should be using this card when you go to Trader Joe's or Safeway to like buy your groceries because it'll just be more beneficial for you. Um, which we can start doing soon. Um, the question is like, should, like what Mint is gonna do is like say, hey, we can see you're traveling a lot. Here's like the Sapphire Reserve card. You can really max out your points and then they get like a kickback on that affiliate fee for like mm. selling you that card. Um, I don't wanna do that because uh, I feel like I'd rather just provide you value like upfront, but some people want that. Some people are very point motivated, so it's really, Again, talking to users, seeing like, are we breaking your trust by like selling you this card? Um, or can we do a, a better experience just by like saying, hey, here's a conversation of a bunch of other users that like are really points motivated. And like, this is how they handle, um, you know, this is how they pick a card at the point of sale. Got it. Yeah, no, I think that's another great feature. Um, and I think I, I know someone else who's really into credit cards, who again, has another spreadsheet of all the different bonuses and categories and like he updates it and he checks that like before he goes out to make sure he's like mm -hmm. using the right one. So it's almost like just ask people like, hey, what spreadsheets do you have around personal finance? And then like you said in the beginning of the podcast, you can just go and, and build that functionality in a much cleaner uh, interface that is a lot easier to use as well uh, and always in your pocket. So um, I really yeah. like that. And, and, and the crazy part is like, we can see people are spending one to three hours a month on their spreadsheets today for personal finance, um, categorizing and like, we look to see like, what are you doing on spreadsheets, right? And it really boils down to two things. First is like itemizing your transactions and putting them in the right buckets. So that's like categorization. And then the second is building dashboards and future projections. And that's really what like these hardcore like financial nerds are doing today. And we take like the average time for categorization, if you come back like two times a week today is 40 seconds. That's super fast. Like people, like what, what would take you like an hour to three hours a month, now you can do in like minutes on habitual. And then we can start building insights and we can build the dashboards. We can try to see like what are the most common ones. We can allow you to customize which ones are relevant to you. Um, and then start doing the future projections. And like the super nerds, like go really deep into like, oh, I know like I have to pay like my insurance bill for my car on a premium every six months, right? And like, how do we help you save for that? How do we help you like put money aside today for these like things? A lot of people just wing it today. And they're just like, I have my threshold, my checking account. If it goes above and below, like I'll make like a 
just I'll do a decision in my life to like change my spending habits. But if everything's digital, like why, like why don't you have a very clear picture today of like where your money's going? Mm-hmm. And like that's the core problem we're solving. And then trying to allow people to like talk about it and like you know create a forum where people can discuss their learnings and learn from others. Yeah. And I think when all, with all these decisions that you have to make on product roadmap and talking to users and even marketing, and it's a smaller team such as the one you guys have, it's, it's just you uh, you and Marius, correct? Mm-hmm. So in that case, uh, I think a lot of startups obviously start this way. How, how does the co-founder dynamic, what does that look like? When do you have domains? Like, do you have one person has maybe the power to have an executive decision on a certain area, um, or is it pretty democratic or just discussion-based and coming to conclusions together. How have you guys um, worked that out? Maurice, yeah. you want to take this? <laughs> yeah, 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 I can take this one. I think, um, first of all, co- co-founding uh, journey, it's, it's a long journey, right? And I think one of the good things about Mahir and I, our, our skill sets are completely different, right? I come from a design background and Mahir, a, he's a builder. He's an engineer. So kind of mixing those two, first of all, that's that's like a, a rock star kind of um, dynamic. So that's a, that's one of the good things about that. Um, yeah, we do definitely have um, our roles and expertise. Um, I really I focus on like product design, uh, marketing and stuff like that. And Mahir kind of leads the, the vision, um, engineering efforts, and also like pitching and talking to investors and things like that. So. Um, on certain things, we definitely collaborate a lot, um, have a lot of discussions. And if there's certain things that, you know, Mihir needs that I can be hands off or vice versa. So, um, and the good thing, he has design chops as well, too. So um, <laughs> he can definitely see certain things that I can't see or vice versa. So um, I think that dynamic is pretty, it's pretty unique, I'll say. Yeah. Um... Yeah, we definitely have our own domain expertise, like um, on the engineering side and currently going through a fundraising process. Um, but like Marius has like enabled all of that, like his designs, like literally, I, I made like a really ugly PowerPoint for our first pitch deck. <laughs> uh, and then he's like, all right, cool. I'm going to take this and like really make it pop on Figma. And I'm like leaving comments. He's making changes. Uh, it's a very like like we're building this deck 100% together. It's not just like me building it and then trying to pitch and stuff like that. It's like we're talking about it. Just like literally last night, he built a completely different version uh, that was a much simplified version um, off the deck. And I'm like, I love, I love it. Let's take parts of these. Let's take parts of the old one. Let's make like a like like a new version that kind of takes like the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that same like collaboration and like working on Figma together, where we're like. So we're actually remote. Um, he's in Atlanta. I'm, I'm up here in New York. So we do everything through Zoom and uh, on Figma and on Slack. So, but just being there real time and being able to like you know see his mouse moving around on Figma and like me leaving a comment and then him responding and then like us jumping on Zoom having like a ten minute conversation about something specific, and then just like executing in separate um, has been super super awesome. Um, and that's kind of like we're we're still learning um, how to like work together most effectively. And we have conversations and retros about what worked, what's not working, um, things that I can do better to enable him, things that he can do better to enable me. Mm-hmm. And then our domain expertise, like I'm on the engineering front, he's doing marketing as well. He's like trying to 
reach out to like TikTok influencers. Um, I think he reached out to you originally as well, right? So yeah, yeah. It's, I think that's how this all came about. He reached out um, on Instagram, um, and yeah, just uh, but continue. <laughs> yeah, uh, just working together, supporting each other. Um, we have like different expertise, but there is overlap, um, and we kind of meet on Figma essentially, and on Slack, and on Zoom. Um, and just try to see how we can like help each other get unblocked and support each other. So. so how do you build that that trust? It sounds like there's a lot of trust, right? If if you are partnered with someone who has expertise in a domain that you have no experience in, uh, experience in, they're basically taking 100% of that responsibility for something that you're mm-hmm. supposed to be or that you are building together. So how do you build the trust to work with each other and just believe that um, you know this is the best possible way we could do this for design. This is the best possible way we could build this for engineering, um, especially if it sounds like you're spending a lot of time remotely. Mm-hmm. I think the trust is built on conversation. Um, it's really as simple as that. Just talking about like, what are we like? What are we doing now? That's gonna like, like what's the impact of whatever we're building, right? So if we're building a feature, it's like, how is this gonna help users? And like both of us being on the exact same page of like these are the benefits of like this design this exact feature or like the way it looks. And like, this is uh, kind of the essence of what we want to get out of it. Um, Talk about that, kind of get to an understanding. And then Marius goes and like takes that, turns into like a a real mock. And then I'll take that and like turn into a real product. Um, And yeah, just having lots and lots of conversations and uh, he's super easy to get a hold of. So uh, I've I've never been like waiting for a response uh, Mm. on Marius and yeah, this has been a pleasure to work with him. So, that's great. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just like you said, being on the same page and having that vision. I don't know, Marius, did you have something to say on that as well? No, no, no. I think Maria kind of hit, hit everything. Okay. Yeah, and so I, I heard you. He had mentioned, uh, hinted at funding potentially. I don't know if you're able to talk about that. If not, totally fine. But um, we'd love to hear anything you're able to share. Um. Yeah, so we actually just accepted an offer for Techstars New York, um, the summer batch that, that's starting in about a week from now. I think this podcast should already be released then. Um, just trying to raise like a pre-seed going into the program um, hmm. and just to enable us better to be able to really focus on the business. Um, that's kind of the goal. Uh, can't really go too deep into it, but sure. we're excited for the program. Uh, I've talked to a few people that have gone through it before and it, it's actually pretty cool because it's like, only 12 companies, it's in person um, in Manhattan. Uh, and the mentorship that other people have gotten through it has been like amazing and it's really helped them like level up their companies. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to go through it. Um, we can't wait for it to start. And yeah, hopefully it'll help us like, you know, build our vision out and, you know, get us the funding that we need to, to do that, uh, help us build a team, help us, help us like make our first key hires. Yeah. Nice. So, so Marius, I had seen on LinkedIn that you're also working at Delta currently. Um, and I would assume that's full time. Oh yeah. So, so with what's going on with habitual, um, has it crossed your mind of, I'm just going to go full time and leave the nine to five and, you know, dive into this. Um, if it's, or it's not really in the cards, but if it is, what would need to happen for you to make that leap? Because I think a lot of people maybe listening to this podcast or watching it um, on YouTube could be in their nine to five and trying to tinker with an idea, but it's it's hard to know when to actually 
go for it. So for you, is there like a criteria or something that you're waiting for? Um, I wouldn't say specifically what I'm waiting for. Um, I think definitely to anybody listening to this, have a conversation with your um, co-founders or the people you're working with and um, really kind of show what your intentions are. My intentions are, is to definitely work with work on habitual full-time, of course. Um, you know, de- different things, making sure that whatever you're, whatever you're doing, it's pretty aligned. Um, the vision is aligned and different things. So the conversation, like Mahir said, we've been talking a lot and making sure how do we align our visions and um, what we want to do for the company. And obviously Techstars, is, like Mahir said, is a big one of it. So pushing forward to the right direction. Awesome. Well, yeah, I hope you're, uh, you're able to make that leap soon and it sounds like everything's going super well. Um, and the last kind of question I have for you guys is, well, I have one more from Mahir actually, and then another about the future of FinTech, but, um, Mahir, what would you say to maybe any engineers who feel like they might lack soft skills or, um, feel like they might lack the the business mindset to become a CEO and start their own startup and lead a team or work with co-founders. Is there anything that you've, you've experienced or gone through that's helped you with that? Or did you kind of feel like you've just had it and maybe had some advice? Yeah. Um, joining on deck was super helpful because it's a community of founders. Um, two of my old roommates have both started their own company. So I, one's technical one's he actually started ISP internet service provider, which is like, one of the craziest things you can start, I think. Um, it's like a very deep industry and like deep tech, right? You're providing internet to people. Right. Um, just like learning from them, talking to them, seeing like, uh, talking to our users as well was like super helpful. Um, just building something, getting it out as soon as possible. Um, and having a founder network is incredibly helpful. If you can join another network, there's like a lot of different founder fellowships. Um, I joined like Primary VC, the fellowship that they have here in New York. Um, I'm part of like the launch, like Jason Calcanis's launch university fellowship, which you can just sign up if you have an idea, if you're like, th- there, are, there are versions that you can join without an idea and you're exploring and you're looking for a co-founder. Hmm. Um, if you, if you, if you want to build something and you want to like see something in the world. And for me, it was like building like a financial product that helps people understand where their money's going better. And then, talking to as many people that you know about it, um, getting their feedback, and then hopefully eventually finding the right co-founder. Uh, like when I saw Marius pop up in the on-deck Slack, and I was like, hey, we're building in the same space, let's, let's chat. Um, and kind of just, yeah, doing that. Uh, it, there's definitely like, it's, it's two different skill sets, like you mentioned, going from like product and engineering to like building a company, setting vision, and, um, fundraising and like all the networking that goes along with it. But I think you have to do both um, and you have to really like be able to manage your time correctly. And um, yeah, just understand what you want. And like, if you want to just be a CTO and a rockstar CTO, go find yourself a CEO that's going to, that's going to be the CEO. Um, And, you know, they, they can handle that domain and you can handle yours and you guys can build together and like have a really good working relationship that way. I think that's great advice. You don't have to be the CEO. Yeah, I don't think. yeah that, that too. <laughs> yeah, so 
one one question I have. Usually we do a, a lightning round um, at the end of the episode, um, you know, where we just ask you a bunch of questions and you give one to three word re- responses. One I want to kind of tack on top before we jump into that is what do you guys individually see as, I guess, the future of fintech? Is that something you think a lot about? Um, what's your vision, I guess? Yeah, no, that's a good one. It's so funny you asked that because I was literally telling Mahir about it last night and we went to this talk by Mike Maples and what stood out to me, he said, live in the future. Like founders should. He, he's, he's one of the founders of Floodgate Ventures. Floodgate, okay. Yeah. yeah. Amazing um, thinker. He has, he has a podcast called Starting Greatness that I highly recommend everyone listen to. Yeah. He's just like, he's thinking in like 2050, like territory. So basically, yeah. Sorry, uh, go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 I just thought it was super interesting where he, he just said like, build for the future right um uh-huh. so when i was talking to me here last night i felt gen z is the future of finance right um growing up we're millennials you know right now and stuff like that and there are already tools right that came before personal finance tools that have been around for a while so what does what does personal finance look like for the next generation so that's kind of been in my mind um, throughout, right? Um, that's where this whole community and social aspect comes in place into finance. It's because to unlock the next generation uh, within the space um, and the younger generation coming up, I think you have to make it fun, exciting, um, inclusive, right? Um, mm. And you've noticed a lot of the, the brands are succeeding now is led by, uh, you know, their communities are mainly, you know, gen- uh, the next generation. So I think kind of really thinking about the future of that, uh, of finance within that community and within that generation, I think if you're able to unlock it and mesh those two, you would probably change um, the stereotypes and the the boundaries, the barriers in finance. So. Love it. Mahir, do you have a, a vision for the future as well? Yeah, uh, I think before like hypothesizing on the future, it it's interesting to like look back. Um, mm. Flashback like fifty years ago, like people would handle their finance like your bank was your like your only source of money, right? And people would handle their finances by balancing their checkbook at the end of every month. Like I remember my mom used to do this for like in like the nineties uh, for for our family, where she would like have a very tangible experience with her money. And with the introduction of tap to pay credit cards, all these neobanks that are spinning up, um, crypto, Venmo, PayPal, it's, your money's everywhere now, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we're trying to see is like, how do we bring you back to an emotional, tangible experience with your money? Um, and really like, so, like helping, helping you understand, like our relationship with our spend has been completely abstracted away um, today because of all these, it's really hard to keep track of where things are going. And we, are trying to basically build tools that help bring that back and put you in control in like a really like close way with um, the habits that you've already built around your money and like helping you kind of improve those and really optimizing for things that spark joy, right? Like, um, so that's like kind of the way I look at it. I kind of look back and see like, how was this done like 50 years ago? How, how, how is it done today? And like, what should it be? Like, is, are there any learnings that we can take from there? Mm. Um, and I don't know, things are things are trending and like fintech is has exploded in the last like two years 
I think Plaid's uh, consumer, consumer report shows market penetration has reached like 88% in the US and it was like 50% pre-pandemic. Um, everything, like there are all these like really interesting banking as a service um, startups that have come up like unit, um, bond, I think, um, Galileo, Marketa that allow people to like really take away, like chip at what the big banks are currently doing. So like Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America. Um, there's all these like smaller niche, like niches that need to be served in really specific ways that have these banking as a service providers has enabled like other companies to spin up and really like target like Gen Z or like middle America or, you know, like the elder community. Like it, it's super interesting just to see like the complete like breakdown of like the big banks and people kind of getting control of their money and other companies as well, building financial tools around that. And then there's crypto, which is like very interesting. Uh, <laughs> we could probably do another hour on that, but um, yeah, that's also how, like Web3 is super interesting and DeFi and like how people are be, being able to like arbitrage different protocols and be able to like make a lot of money over there and like bridging that with the Web2 world and getting people to like, like why can't I like have a credit card that I just pay in whatever coin, right? I can just like flip through them. Right. Um, why can't I have like a savings account that's easily like built up that I can like onboard in like 10 minutes or like less, like in a minute that, you know, takes advantage of like anchor protocols, like DeFi, like 20% on USDC versus like whatever the half a percent that I'm getting at Chase. So, right. Yeah. Future's so, big and bright. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really find that interesting um, of like looking back and, and taking lessons from how we got to here. And um, we actually had employee number 15 at Plaid um, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, Seema Gandhi. And she kind of gave her vision for what she called FinTech 3.0 um, and how there would pretty much uh, hopefully, hopefully I'm getting this correctly I, I mean if you guys haven't seen it already all, all you guys listening or watching you should go check it out so she said a lot better than I will but basically what I took away was having a bank for different aspects or areas of your life like for your health or for your finances of course um, mm -hmm. and I think your your what you kind of listed was also fascinating we had a line of all your spending and finances have been abstracted away. And I think that is really such an eloquent way to put it because I feel like I had an idea of, of what you guys were trying to solve um, or like one of the core problems you guys were trying to solve with Habitual. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's a great way to describe the feeling of my money is in Venmo, my money is in Cash App, my money is in my checking everywhere. And mm -hmm. that's why we need this spreadsheet to collect, collect it all together and actually go through and do hard numbers because that's basically just doing what your mom did like, you know, in the 90s, right? Yep. Um, so that's just on a spreadsheet now <laughs> instead of on paper. Um, so Yeah, and the way some people actually handle it today, people that are like in financial hardship and they like, are really trying to get out of it is they do this thing called envelope budgeting and we're basically a digital version of envelope budgeting where they deal with everything in cash um they get paid they go to the bank they pull out everything in cash and then they have like literal envelopes that'll say like this is for rent this is for groceries this is for entertainment and again like it's a very tangible experience and allows people to like stay on um like allows people to like you know 
know exactly how much money they have left so then they can spend that correctly and we basically try to bring that to like the world we live in now where our spend is fragmented across all these other services mm -hmm. makes sense well um marius i also wanted to follow up about the ethics of gamification in design but uh, i know we're short on time <laughs> But yeah. um, so we'll finish off with the founder framework lightning questions. Uh, but before we do that, where can everyone find you? Where should they go? Where should they check you out? Yeah, come to habitual.money, www.habitual.money. Um, we have an active discord that's linked uh, on our website. Um, that's probably the best place. Uh, we're also on Twitter. We have an Instagram to start a TikTok. It's a habitual money everywhere. <laughs> so uh, Great. yeah, come, come check us out. Join our discord. We'd love to chat. Perfect. And I'll link all those down in the show notes and descriptions below. Um, so with that, the la round of uh, Founder Framework lightning round. So one to three word questions, okay? And we've never done with this with two guests, but let's just say we could do like Marius and then Mahir. So number one is who's your role model? Uh, my mom. Your mom, okay. Yeah. Mahir? It changes depending on when but right now uh i'm i'm trying to i'm inspired by rahul vora at superhuman and um alan chen at fitbot hmm. uh, i will have to because of the products they're building and kind of try to follow suit awesome i'll have to check that out sounds interesting um what would be your last meals on earth oh i love a good um shrimp sog with non bread <laughs> oh okay nice uh, omakase for sure. Ooh. Sushi by Bao in Jersey City. I love it. Nice. It's some of the best experiences, best best food I've eaten. <laughs> Both great answers. Um, hustle culture, yay or nay? Yay. Yay. Yeah. Uh, define your own culture. Like, do do what works best for you. Nice. What's the number one skill set that's helped you get to where you are today? Oh. Um, I would say be nice to everybody when it's necessary. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice <Yeah>. caveat. <laughs> um, for me, probably something that's really helped me in my life was meditating. Um, mm. I've done Vipassana twice, which is like a 10 day silent retreat where you go like really deep into your own mind. Um, and just gives you like an amazing framework. So. Great. Okay. Last two questions. So if you weren't working on what you're currently working on, which is uh, habitual, what would you be building? Uh, wow. That's a good one. Um, probably something, something in the social space. Uh, yeah. I would say probably something in social. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I would dive headfirst into Web3. I don't know where, but I would try to join a startup, learn, and then build something. Yeah. yeah it's so hard to stay focused on building Web2 when it's like, it's just so in yeah. your face. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, what's the number one lesson that you've ever learned? Oh, the number one lesson I've ever learned. Um, yeah, so I think one of, one of my basketball coaches always said, the door is closed from the outside coming in, but it's open from the inside going out. So essentially, when you're on the inside, you can always mess up, you can always leave, right? But the people outside always wanna be in your position, right? Um, 
yeah, it's always stuck with me. So basically wow. remain hum remain humble throughout everything you mm. do. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm gonna play that one back for sure. <laughs> yeah, I can't I don't have anything that that beautiful um, <laughs> to say. I was actually just gonna piggyback on Marius's last one of his earlier answers, just Life is about relationships and people, um, and that's at the end of the day, what matters. Um, mm. So just focus on your relationships and make sure that you know that is the most important thing. Um, people in your life, friends that you have, family, uh, and just be nice to people, take care of each other. So love it, awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the team from Habitual Money, Marius and Mahir. Um, everyone, go check them out down below. Everything will be linked there. I use it. I think it's great, um, and I'm really excited to see what else you guys build. So. That's a wrap.